Well, good morning. What a beautiful place we have to worship in this morning. Amen? Doesn't it look wonderful? I imagine as we prepare for Christmas, we can, could, could compare notes about our Christmas traditions and stories, and probably as adults, our, our traditions and stories might vary quite a bit, but, but I think maybe if we compared our experiences in terms of childhood Christmas experiences, we would probably find more in common. And I'm talking about, you know, when you were a kid, or for those that are leaving those kids, that, that time of real anticipation, the time of building up to Christmas each year. You remember when you were a kid, it was probably the same for all of us, right? There was a great amount of anxiety and anticipation that built up, and, and every day that got closer, you know, some of us had our little calendars, and, and it was much less, much less about Advent and the spiritual uh, things that were happening. It was much more about the countdown for presents, right? You remember that? Let's, let's be honest. We don't have to be ultra spiritual this morning. You just remember that when we were kids, it was just that agonizing, agonizing wait for Christmas to come. You remember that? And in fact, some of us, we, we kind of share this tradition also. Sometimes we were so impatient and so um, not wanting to wait anymore, that we would actually go, some of us searching for those presents before Christmas Day came. You remember that? Now, I know you're remembering your own kids, but I want you to go back farther. What about you? I learned, I learned that Pastor Matt is one of the worst here, and um, they have to hide their presents not from their kids, but from him still. And you remember that? You remember when you actually go, used to go hunting for him before Christmas? How many people, let's have confession time this morning. How many people, when you were a kid, now some of you have to go way back, but when you were a kid, how many actually found some of them when you were looking for them? Look at that. Look at, you see, I'm not the only one who's, who's up to no good because you search and, hey, you found that hiding spot and mom and dad had some good ones, but, but some of us were really diligent, weren't we? And we persevered and found some. Okay, so let's just move on a little further in our confession time. How many, when you searched for them and found them, how many were bold enough to actually open them up and play with them? <laughs> okay, that crowd's getting a little smaller. That's pretty bold, right? Like, I couldn't wait, and I actually dug in. That's what Matt does, by the way, you guys, so that's why they have to hide it from him. You can tell when they've been rewrapped, right? And so, okay, final, final confession here. Now, this goes all the way to me, because I'm, I'm in this group. How many one time, at least, when you opened them and played with them before Christmas, broke them? Yeah, <laughs> there's a couple of us. That didn't fly so well for me, you know. Open it up on Christmas morning. Oh, thanks, Mom, Dad, it's broken. Why did you get me a broken present? And they knew it was working when they put it in there. Uh, I had the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip when I was, do you remember that? And, and he did the karate chop when you push the button. And uh, I pushed the button so many times before Christmas morning that it broke. And he did no karate chopping left. And I I tried to act gypped. What did you guys do? And it didn't work very well for me. I got caught. But that anticipation, that agonizing wait for Christmas, it's that dynamic of waiting for the hope of something that's supposed to come that you're anticipating that we really look forward to each year. And that's also part of the anticipation of and the dynamic of Christmas. That, that waiting that comes, and that's really the Christmas story. You know, when the Christmas story comes, Matt just read a moment ago the, the birth uh, of the Savior. Do you know, before that time was coming, that there were um, a long period of time where Jewish people were waiting for a promise. 
Jewish people for generations in their history and generations and generations lived as if each year that would be the year that somebody would come, not Santa Claus, but Messiah. And year after year, generation after generation, they would pray and wait and no Messiah would come. And they would pray and wait and no Messiah would come. And they kept praying and kept waiting and no Messiah It's the Christmas story that if we put ourselves also into some of their shoes and we understand what God was doing in the life of his own people, we're going to look at two of them in just a moment. When God answers that promise and brings a Messiah, that was a long-awaited, anticipated hope of a coming of somebody that had been promised for a long time. And several generations had prayed and waited. There's always a remnant that was looking and waiting for Messiah to come. And and this morning we get to look at two of those in the remnant. Turning your Bible, if you will, to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 5 all the way through verse 27. We're going to do a lot of reading of this story today. A lot of history, a lot of context getting ready for the Christmas story. And what we're looking at this morning is this thrill that's found in the message of hope. You see, when this happens in Luke chapter 1... There had been not only generations of Jewish people waiting for coming of Messiah, there had been Jewish people waiting for over 2,000 years for other promises that God had made. God had promised to his people long ago that they would be a nation above all other nations, that they would be a people through whom the God would bless the rest of the people. And they were waiting for these promises living each day, each year, as if something better was about to happen. And, and, you know, that's really where we find our common ground with them today. We find out, we're going to look at Zacharias. We find out that Zacharias' story is really our story as well. Because there are, there are times where we are just sort of waiting, and we know that something better is coming, and we're supposed to, people, we're supposed to be living as if something better is coming, a promise, a future, a hope, God's, God's fulfillment of something. And, and you know, you have those things in your life where you just wonder, is this ever really going to work? Come on, as Christians, there are some times in our lives that this puts us right here in the Christmas story where we're really anticipating and, and eager and, and, the, and the anxiety takes over. And then before you know it, it there are seasons of our life where we really kind of grow despondent and we wonder, is it really worth it to keep living the way I'm living? Is it really worth it to keep basing all of these sacrifices on a promise of something that's still yet to come in my life? And sometimes we get a little bit worried. Sometimes we get a little bit despondent and we find ourselves learning a great lesson here from Zacharias. Read with me if you will. We're going to start in verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Now, what you need to understand here, to to really put ourselves in the context of the story of history here, is that these were some of the few who were still living as if the promise of Messiah and the promise of, of their nation becoming a great people that will rule the earth, they're still living that way day to day, even though generations before them had given up. And had departed and stopped hoping. We know that because it says that they were both righteous before God, 
walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord blameless. Now, the Jewish people had tons of commandments and ordinances. And they were still, it, the idea here in the scripture as it's written is, like if you were to hire a private investigator to follow them, even when nobody was looking, they were still walking to all the commandments and observing all the ordinances, being absolutely faithful and patient and waiting for God, even when it appeared as if God had been silent. For 700 years, the people of Israel had not heard from God. That time period between the record of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament Gospels is known as the silent years because it's as if God really did get silent and there was no answer. And there they were, and we're going to learn these lessons from them. The first one is this. There is hope. There is always hope where God is concerned. Our God, listen church, our God is a God who is a God of hope. No matter what happens, no matter where we are, whatever the context, whether we're Jewish, Gentile, the church, America, Europe, Africa, doesn't matter what time period, when it comes to the ways of God, the economy of God, there's always, 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 always hope. God's a God of hope. And there's two things that we can learn from Zacharias and Elizabeth, and that is this, they knew that God blesses his people. First and foremost, God blesses his people. You know, he made that promise to them. You might want to turn there with me. Back to Genesis chapter 12 of blessing them. He did say that he is a God of blessing and he intended to bless them. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 said, now the Lord had said to Abram, their forefather, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Listen to verse 2. I will make you a great nation I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in all, listen to this, all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. Now, if you were um, Zacharias and Elizabeth, and you knew that that was the promise, you had to know in order to still at this time be patiently waiting and faithful to, the God, to God, you had to know that God really was in his character a God who blesses his people. Otherwise, you would have given up long ago, like so many others. He's a God who blesses. We learn later in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12 that God actually proved himself faithful and did bless. And I know this, it's tempting this morning. You go, uh, yeah, pastor, that's great for Ab- Abram. Later, Abraham, and then Isaac and Jacob, and then all their descendants, and the Jewish people. And that promise was made to the Jewish people. But how do I really know, hmm, how do I really know that God's promise to bless really extended beyond the Jewish people and and, and affects me here today? How do I know that? Because that's what he said to Abram. I will bless all the nations of the earth. That's you. That's me. Through you. And guess what? It's the Christmas story that unfolds before us. God's greatest act of blessing all the nations, all the people, through Abram's descendants. The birth of the Savior. You see, that's where it's found. The Christmas story is so much more than just, hey, that's when Jesus was born. And by the way, it was a good thing because he later went to the cross. We're going to talk about all that. It's very important. But it's also part of God's blessing and his nature to his people. 
And listen, you are his people, church. You are his people. And if you're a guest or a visitor this morning, say, I'm not part of this church. Guess what? You're God's people too. And the nature of God, the character of God is to always bless his people. He's a blessing God. He blesses. That's who he is. It just, it can't not bless. He's God. But then we find out there's something else they must have known about God. And that is this. God promises his people. God promises his people. He not only blesses, but the blessings come through promises. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29. Listen, I know, I've been doing this long enough. I know that just because it's Christmas season doesn't mean everybody's happy. Am I in the right room? Am I preaching to the right crowd here this morning? Do you know? Do you know um, those in sociology and even law enforcement professionals have told me this is the time of year that records the greatest number of suicides in America? Wow. The greatest, most celebratory season that our nation knows, and yet it is the time where people find themselves most lonely, most hopeless, and most despondent. Depression rises. You've got to see this. You've got to see this. Is God really good to his people? Look at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 9. They prophesy falsely to you in my name, those that are not prophets he's talking about. I have not sent them, says the Lord. That's all bad news. That's not right. That's false. Look at verse 10. For thus says the Lord, here's truth. After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Hey, you may not know the thoughts that God thinks toward you. You may wonder, does God, because of this in my past, this in my family, this in our circumstances, what? I don't really know what God's thinking. You may not ever know, but he knows what he's thinking towards you. And the Bible records it here. He says, these are the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of, now watch this, peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. See, there's God's promise. To give you, see, this, this is, he's writing now to, to his people, Israel, in a time where they were in exile, where they were most despondent, like really wondering, really? You're going to bless us and bless the whole world through us? We're going to be the greatest nation on earth? We're in captivity right now. We don't even have our own land, our own government, our own rulers, our own people. We've been separated, stripped. We're, in a sense, back in slavery almost again. Really? And then God says, no, 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 you see, you need, you need to think my thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Listen to my thoughts. I have a plan of peace for you to give you a future. And listen, no matter what's happening, there's always hope in God's promises. In God's promises. You see, you got to read on. Then you will call upon me, he says, and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. How on earth did Zacharias and Elizabeth live day after day after day so faithfully 
to God, even when it looked like God was silent, because this is what they knew. They know that God blesses them, and they also know that God's blessings come through his promises. Hope is always found. I got your attention, don't I? Where, where, where's hope always found? Hope is always found in God's promises. Folks, that book laying in your lap in front of you is a book of promise. It's a book of, here is my thoughts, God records, toward you. I promise these. I promise, and whatever God's promise, we already know it's a plan of peace, and he gives us a future, not just talking about today or the past, but it's something to look forward to in the future because he's a God of hope. He says, I have a plan for you. I have a future for you. I have hope still for you. And that's what Zacharias and Elizabeth knew. That's how they lived. And I know sometimes we wonder, is it really ever worth it? Does it really ever come true? Where is God then, these promises? Does he really care about what I'm in today? And if he does, when is he coming? When do I get this hope? We turn back to Luke chapter 1 and continue on in our story and we find out. We left off in verse 7. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. By the way, there's a, there's a reward for you. Hey, we have been living faithfully to God since the beginning. We know his promises are true. There's a hope coming. There's a future coming. We know it's going to be worth it. God's listening. He's going to come through and answer all his promises. We know, and we're living that way. And our greatest reward is we can't have kids. And by the way, if, if you know anything about the pain and the shame associated with not being able to have children, hope isn't one of the words that naturally comes to mind. As a matter of fact, in Elizabeth's day, now, ladies, I don't think this way, so don't, don't hate the messenger here, but in Elizabeth's day, that was about the greatest value of her life was to produce children. That's, that's what women's greatest role was. And if, if a woman in that, especially Jewish woman, in that culture, in that day, and that age, could not have children, it was almost, almost as if there was no use for them. Now, we know there's so much more, and Jewish people today know there's so much more, but that's the culture in which they lived. There was so much shame. There was so much loneliness associated with not being able to bear children. Put yourself in Elizabeth's shoes. It's not maybe unlike some of your circumstances and some of the guilt or the shame or the loneliness that you feel, that you're tempted to feel this time of year. And yet this is what it records. She walked in all the commandments and the ordinance of the Lord blameless. Look at verse 8. So it was that while he was serving, that's Zacharias, as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple to the Lord. And the whole multitude of people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. The second thing I want to show you is right here. God's promises, where is he? Does he care? Are always in God's time. 
Folks, the Christmas story is all about putting the exclamation point on that statement. It is, yes, we know God's promises are in God's time, but when this happened, we saw and we learned and we know firsthand that, yes, it is true. Actually, God's promises happened in God's time. It was the appointed time. Here, they were privileged to be there, to be faithful to the Lord, and it says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in verse 11, standing in the right side of the altar of incense. Do you understand what's happening here? They're priests. There's like 23 orders of priests. And Zacharias is in one of them, and he's one of many in that specific order. And it was their division's turn to serve in certain places in the temple. And among their division, the lots were cast, and one, one priest was chosen to actually go into the holy place, beyond the curtains, into that sacred, most holy place, the Holy of Holies, and burn incense to God. Now listen, that's, that's pretty significant and pretty rare. You can live your whole life as a priest and never get that job. And here's Zacharias' turn. And he goes in in God's perfect timing. An angel of the Lord appears. And verse 12, when Zacharias saw him and he was troubled, fear fell upon him. <laughs> he saw an angel of the Lord and his response was fear. This is a righteous man. And his response was fear. By the way, just, you know, that's a little bit different than what we see in the Hallmark Channel. I just, I just have to take my stab at it right now. You know what? I'm about to hear what the Hallmark movies, y'all. Right? I mean, it's the tissue box and the same story over and over again and just different actors. And you... Oh, thank you. Thank you, brother. Hold on, hold on. Y'all just, just, just stay right there. Just hold on. Thank you, my man. All right. There's an amen that belonged right there. And one guy got it. The rest of you missed out. Right? I mean, this whole idea that when I see God, we just had this nice friendly chat. It was cool. We hung out. And God was so wonderful. And, and it was a sappy story. And he made me weep because he was so sensitive and tenderhearted. You know what? Every time in the Bible an angel of the Lord appears, fear. Even for those who had no reason to fear. He was a righteous man. Not like most of you. And me. Amen. <laughs> See, now, Vaughn, you got amen in the wrong place. You, you missed it by about two seconds. <laughs> right? I mean, how awesome is God? How holy is God? How faithful is he? And here he is. Zacharias is afraid. And then the typical standard angel response right here in verse 13. Verse 13 but the angel of the Lord said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. See, it's in God's timing. And for generations, they had waited. But this was God's time, and Zacharias was there. There was hope, and he saw it. And here it is. Your prayer's been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, here it is, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. What a, what a reward, what a fulfillment of God's promise. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Wow. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Many who had not been faithful and waited with hope. He will also go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to children, 
to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See, it's God's timing. There's things that we don't know. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this from an old man and my wife is well advanced in years? Well, a little commentary here. First of all, we see a little bit of his humanity, a little bit of his weakness here. And I'm not going to be too critical of him. I don't know about you, but, but the angel didn't like that doubt. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. You forget who you're talking to and where I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you to bring these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute, not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. You see how consistent God is to his promise? Like, like here I am fulfilling my promise. You've waited all this time, and now you choose to doubt? While I'm standing before you? The other thing I want to point out to you was, uh, guys, another lesson for you this morning. Uh, I like the way he says this. How, in verse 18, how shall I know this? For I am an old man. Okay, now I've learned to not say that to anybody. When you say somebody's an old man or an old woman, you just get in trouble no matter, no matter what kind of friendship you have with them, you don't say that. I, I learned the hard way right here. Okay? But the guy's pretty, pretty bold about himself. I'm an old man, but look how, look how tender and wise and gracious he is when he describes his wife's age. I am an old man, and then he says, my wife is well advanced in years. You see, this is a wise man. He knew better. He didn't say, I'm an old man and she's an old woman. No, guys, don't do that. She's just well advanced in years. Can, can I use that? Can I say, but you're just well advanced in years. I'm getting more advanced in years. But you know what he's saying? He's saying, naturally speaking, we have gotten past the place. When we were in our 20s, we were really looking forward to getting pregnant. And then in our 30s, we said, okay, well, it's a little bit later in life for a Jewish woman, but, but we're still going to do it. And then in our 40s, we thought, there's a long shot here, but it has been known to happen, and we're going to keep holding out. And then in their 50s, they thought, this is over. There's no biological, there's no physical way. Our hope is diminishing. In God's time, God fulfills his promises. I bring you glad tidings. You know, that there's three things about God's timing, bringing glad tidings to us, fulfilling his promises. First of all, you need to know this. God's timing is for him. First and foremost, I know we like to put ourselves on the throne, and we like to be the center of the universe, and we like to be the center of our own attention and God's promises. And listen, the way that they affect me, the way that they affect my circumstances in my life, and that's important because it's personal. But you need to understand, before God is the personal God to you and and the one who's going to answer your promises and take care of your needs, he is also, listen, he is also the sovereign God of the universe and everything that is. Like, let's remember who he is, church. It's his timing. And there's no way for the nation of Israel or for those husbands and wives of Israel to understand the timing that God chose to bring forth the Savior. 
there had been enough time for, for the, the age of his law to, to reveal to us the need for grace. And only God knows that timing and, and when it's time and the extent of that time. And there had been politically certain things that need to happen. There had been generations of, of rulers and empires that have come through and tried to insert false gods. And by this time, the entire known world was frustrated and just about ready to give up on all these false gods. The stage was primely set for the birth of the real God, Jesus. Like no other time in history. The Roman Empire had come and taken over and established such an intricate, sophisticated network of trade routes and road systems like there had never been before. That Listen, God knew the exact time to bring the message of hope and future in the birth of the Savior was in a culture and a society that was ready to take that news and mass produce it and spread it across the face of the earth at that precise moment in history. God only knew that. God knew that this would be the first time in the known world where a language, the, the common Greek language in this instance, had become, in a sense, intercultural. Now it doesn't matter where you came from, the Roman Empire, which had vastly expanded throughout that part of the known world, all used the same language. This is the first time ever. didn't matter if you were that culture, this culture. didn't matter if you were a pagan, Assyrian. didn't matter if you were Babylonian. didn't matter if you were Persian. didn't matter if you were Jewish, European, Italian. Greek was the language. That was the perfect time that God could begin to bring the good news of the birth of the gospel so everybody could speak the same language and understand it just at the right time, like never before. See, Zacharias didn't know all that. God's people didn't understand all that. And just like you waiting for God's promise in your life today, you don't know all that is involved in God's timing. There are other factors. There are other people. And folks, listen, if you just know that it, God is faithful, his promises are true, then you don't have to worry about the timing. We really can leave it in his hands. He, he's really capable of doing all those things and bringing a future and a hope to you. God's timing is for him. God's timing is also for you. You might not know this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 shows us that even in uh, Paul's life, there were things that Paul was asking for God to do. And God's answer was, some cases no, in some cases not right now. You remember Paul's prayer, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12? He, he had this, this suffering, this thorn in his life, and his the thorn of the flesh. Verse 7, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations... A thorn, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, he said. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted beyond measure. Concerning this thing, this hindrance to him getting too big for his britches, being exalted beyond where he should, it's been allowed by God. And concerning this very thing, he said, I pleaded with the Lord three times, three separate times that it might depart from me. God's answer to Paul is maybe his answer to us today. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. <laughs> well, what does that mean? The fact that you're able to stand there and receive any revelation at all is God's grace. The fact that he's allowed something specifically 
individually in your life because he's interested in your well-being is God's grace. The birth of the Savior and each one of us accepting the good news of forgiveness of sin. Hey, that's God's grace. And he said, that's sufficient for you. You, you, you don't need more than my grace. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. See, sometimes, sometimes God's timing has to do with our own weakness being utilized. Allowing our weakness. Allowing that part of us that we think, you know what? In my own personal preference, God, I'd rather not have this. I really struggle with this, and I don't want this. And I can't see how a future and a hope are part of your plan with this. And God says, I see beyond that, and I'm using the very weakness that you're complaining about right now to do what? To show my strength. I I got a question for you. What's better? What you want to be more comfortable or for God's strength to be platformed? And revealed. What do you want? Your little temporary little piece of relief? Or listen, the sovereign God of the universe, strength in your life. What's better? Don't lose sight, church. I know it seems like God is silent and and you're wondering, is it really going to come true? But in that battle and in that struggle somewhere, it's forcing you, it's allowing you to say, you know what? I really can't have my way. I really don't get the things the way I want them. And I have no choice but to only trust in the strength that God alone can provide. And guess what? That's more than you need. God's timing sometimes is for you. It was for Zacharias and for Elizabeth as well. And then finally, there's a third point about God's timing. This is, this is really important. There is part of God's timing that is always now. Did you know that? I know it seems like, like you're not really hearing from God maybe, and that period of time we call the silent years. But you know, there really is no such thing as the silent years with God. Sure, you may not be getting an answer you're looking for, And you may not see the fulfillment of a promise yet. And so in that sense, it may seem as if God is silent. But God is never completely silent in our lives. No. You see, Zacharias and Elizabeth had the commandments. They had the laws of God. They they were serving in a place where every day they were hearing what saith the Lord. And implementing it in obedience and watching the people worship That's not silent. Here's what I want to focus for us this morning, church. Say, I'm not sure if this is really, is it worth it? Is God really going to come through? Let me just ask you, right now, what is God saying? Sometimes we're, we're blinded to the activity of God because we're so determined to have our own way. And our own insistence blocks us from seeing, oh, you know what, actually, actually, God is saying to me right now, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made great in your weakness. God is actually saying to you, you know what, my grace is sufficient for you. How about, how about worship? How about take what you do have and bring it to me as a praise offering? How about, how about sharing what you do know from 
all the revealed pages of the inspired, inerrant, complete Word of God? How about taking what you do know of my promises here and making them known to people around you? How about serving your brother and your sister? Serve in the church. That's what Zacharias was doing. He was serving at the temple. He, he was the priest. You're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, his own special people. There's always, God's timing is perfect, but there always is something in his timing that you can be living in right now. And the point is to not miss that, to not miss that. So that when God's fulfillment comes and the answers do come and the promise is fulfilled, that you don't miss it. That's the great lesson, the great success story we learn from Zacharias and Elizabeth. God's timing. Now, there's one final point, and then I want to close and give us some time to give and respond. Your faith in God has to be real to you, church. And what we learn from this story is this. Faith in God is never misplaced. Faith in God is never misplaced. It is always the right thing to do. It is the answer in every single circumstance, in every single situation. It is, it is the great and glorious news, the glad tidings of peace and joy that comes in the Christmas story. It is the culmination of all that God had been revealing to his people. Messiah has come. The Savior is born. There will be life beyond the law. There will be forgiveness of sin. There will be eternal everlasting life. There will be the Spirit of God that brings the presence of God, the Word of God, and the fruit of God in your life. There will be not just life, but abundant life. There will be blessings that flow. There will be blessings of fellowship and church and God's provision and the gospel being spread throughout the entire earth. That's the Christmas story. That's, listen, that's the fact the anchor that we hold on to. Faith in God is never, ever misplaced. It always belongs right there. Now, we learn that in the Christmas story. Um, let me share with you. <clears throat> Could you imagine the Christmas story unfolding, Luke chapter 1, if Zacharias and Elizabeth we're not faithfully walking, waiting, and trusting in God. Now, now we saw him stumble a little bit in the, in the presence of the angel. We saw him like, how can that be? I don't, he was, I don't get it. And, and he stumbled a little bit, but his entire life, he had walked in faith. He had prayed and waited and lived as if every single day was the coming of Messiah. Could you imagine now if he had not lived his life that way? What if he had been one of the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jewish people who had during this season and this time, because you know what? About 60 years prior, there was a Roman knucklehead, pagan, that walked in, brushed aside all the temple guards and the priests and the high priests, 
and marched right on in with his pagan nastiness and literally spit in the face of God by walking into the Holy of Holies. And custom dictated he should have died right there on the spot, but he didn't. He walked out and he thumbed his nose at the Jewish people. He said, see, there is no God. That's that's what Zechariah saw as a child, as a boy. And he watched thousands upon thousands of Jewish people abandon God and walk away saying, there, it's not, there's no hope. It's not going to happen. Imagine if they would have been one of those. What would they have missed? They would have missed, hey, I think they would have missed the supernatural birth of John. By the way, their son was John the Baptist. You follow me? Their son was the forerunner, was the one God chose in the spirit of Elijah to go and cause the people to come back. You see, it was the faithfulness of Zacharias and Elizabeth that God used right through them to call all those who had wandered and left and strayed, and not all of them, but many of them, back. The disciples and their family, all from the ministry of their son, John the Baptist. They got to be used by God. They got to be used by God. That's why faith is never misplaced when it's in God. Because God will always use those who trust him. You will be the one he chooses. You will be the one he rests upon and says, come. Let me work through you. Let me answer through you. God will use those who faithfully wait and serve. Hey, somebody need to hear that this morning. That's what you need to hear. Did you get it? Did you write it down? Hold on to it this week. God will use those who do what? Wait and serve. But it doesn't seem like it. And I don't see how this is. And I have all these. I'm not, no, no, no. God will use those who faithfully wait and serve him. Finally, the Christmas story teaches us this about our faith never being misplaced in God the Father. It teaches us that the solution is always, always found this story in the Savior. The answer came, and not only did the answer of God's faithfulness come, but it came in the person of Jesus Christ. It came in God's own flesh himself being born on the earth. And guys, that's not just a coincidence. That's the greatest truth known to mankind. Are you ready? Every situation, every difficulty, all parts of confusion and depression, every mistake of our entire life has a solution. And listen, this is so easy, guys. This is so easy. Here's a Christmas story. You want to celebrate? Celebrate this. The solution is always, 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 always found in Jesus Christ. He is the solution. He has the solution. He will always be the solution to every single hopelessness in our life. He is the hope. 
He's the story. He's what came. This is what the stage is being sent for, the birth of the Savior. So that, listen, all these years, these thousands of years where man has discovered, you know what, I'm sinful in nature and I can't connect with God. There seems to be no hope. And the answer came in the solution that, guess what? You're right. You cannot help yourself. And God provided a Savior. And this morning, the truth that some of you need in the Christmas story, before anything else, you need this truth. The truth is, you can't help yourself. You are suffering the consequences of your sin, but because of God's grace and his love and his perfect timing, the Savior was born. And if you this morning, listen, sir, ma'am, if you will choose to place your faith in Jesus Christ, the solution of all hope for mankind, and say, Jesus, your death on the cross was for my sins, your payment was for me to be forgiven, and I can receive everlasting eternal life for free by trusting in you as your great gift, I will choose to do so right here, right now. Is that you? Hey, listen, Don't miss the Christmas story and celebrate all the other stuff without it. Because here's what the hope is. It's in the forgiveness of sin and everlasting life because of what Jesus did on the cross. For you. In place of you. And the question this morning is, do you need hope? And will you place your faith in God? And I'm going to give you the chance to do that right here, right now. Listen to me carefully, church. I'm going to ask everybody to pray. I want to ask you to be honest, folks. I want you, I want you to be honest this morning with yourself. If you were to die today on the way home from church, car accident, you're dead. Do you know that you know that you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you would instantly be forgiven of all your sins, ushered into the presence of God, and live with him forever. Because if you've ever sinned, the Bible says there's a problem there. You can't enter into the presence of God if you've sinned, except through this one way. And Jesus made this claim, I am the truth, the way, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me, the Savior. If you don't know that you know for sure you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, receive the forgiveness of your sin because of his eventual death, burial, and resurrection. If you haven't personally reached out and said, I believe, I trust, come into my life, then I want to give you the chance to do that right here, right now. Would you pray with me? If that's your heart and you're looking for hope this morning, pray this prayer with me to God. Father, I know that that I do have sin. And my sin prevents me from getting to you and I have no answer. Except you provided a way through your son Jesus. And I choose to believe by faith. Your death, burial, and resurrection, Lord Jesus, was for me. And I receive forgiveness because of your death for me. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I surrender. I wonder, this is your praying church, I'm wondering, if you prayed that prayer with me, such an important prayer, life will change for you. Can I ask you to do me a favor? Everybody's head is bowed, eyes are closed, we're praying. 
Can I ask you, if you prayed that prayer with me, would you just slip your hand up? Nobody's watching except me. I just want to know, did you pray that prayer with me and ask Jesus to come into your life? Yeah, just, just slip it up and say, I pray to receive Jesus just now. Thank you. God bless you. Yeah. Hope is now yours. Those of us where we know Jesus is the hope, we've received forgiveness. Lord, forgive us the, uh, this week, this season for questioning and doubting. And help us to be a people who live every single day as if your second coming is tomorrow. Help us to live faithfully, to not question and doubt, to be resolved that your promises are true. Thank you for this promise in this heart today. That promise. What promise did God remind you of as you're praying? Where has he given you a future and a hope? I want to invite you in this time to come. Just come to the altar. Church, just just come on up here and spend some time worshiping the Savior season of his birth, are you grateful that he died on the cross, that he came? Come express your gratitude at the altar this morning in a time of worship and prayer. Did you pray that prayer with me to receive Jesus? Would you come too? Come just up here to the altar, bend your knee, bow your head and say, Lord, thank you. I, I really do believe. I trust you. Help me. Did God remind you of a promise this morning? A promise that you can claim rest on rejoice in. I wonder if there's anybody as we're praying this morning. Church, I wonder if there's anybody that's facing a hopeless situation and this morning you're excited to just trust God. God, you're, you're worthy. And I want to come this morning and profess my faith in you. Lord Jesus, would you come? I'm going to get out of the way give you some time. Lord, speak in your heart. You come. are good, Heavenly Father, and we do trust you. Thank you that your timing is perfect, and we wait on you, and we trust in you, and we rejoice that you will always give us hope and peace. Thank you for the birth of the Savior that came and answered all of our questions in a personal relationship with you. This Christmas season, we lift you up, Lord Jesus. We exalt you as the Savior, our Lord, and soon coming King praise you. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you, guys. Church, can you look this way for just a moment? I want to call your attention to the response card and ushers that are going to help. Would you come forward at this time? Did God speak to you this morning? I'm just, I'm just asking. Did God reveal himself to you this morning? Did he speak to your heart in some way? I, I pray that if he did, that you would um, just sort of write some sort of response to him and give him back um, part of who you are as he's revealed part of who he is. And in a moment, we're going to take up an offering in such a great time of year because God gave the greatest gift, didn't he, church? Thank you, ushers. How about the rest of the church? God gave us the greatest gift, didn't he, church? The birth of the Savior, eternal life. And he gave us that as a gift. And this morning, I know many of us on our heart is just to give. We want to be giving in response. And it's a wonderful time to worship. Our end-of-the-year gifts are very important to us. And I want to invite you. There's a couple areas that you might give to this morning as an act of worship. First of all, tithes and offerings. Let's continue to wait and be faithful to the Lord in doing all that he's commanded us to do right now, just like Zacharias and Elizabeth did, being faithful with our tithes and our offerings. Please do that. God will bless you. It says so in the scriptures. His promise will come. Secondly, we are taking up a special Christmas offering. We're going to take up an offering, and just above and beyond your tithe, if God's blessed you and you want to give to this, uh, Pastor Ton and Armenian congregation are meeting right up there in the chapel this morning, and uh, Pastor Ton's ministry has expanded to the entire um, Far East, and you guys don't know this, maybe you do, um, Ton is pretty much the Apostle Paul of the Mian people right now. He is the one God is using to bring the first church into their people since the history of their existence and that we know of. And so, and, it, and it's working and God's blessing and it's miraculous and we don't even get to hear a part of it. But part of that ministry is the video production that he does and the editing and he's here all day Sunday doing all that stuff on antiquated equipment. We want to take up an offering and get him some up-to-date equipment, some stuff that will help him to produce better quality to all the lost people of the Mian um, civilization and also to save him some time so that he's not here all day and then sometimes late into the night doing that. And there's ways to do it. And we could do that just with a couple thousand dollars, church. We could do that with a couple thousand. And if we take above and beyond that, guess what? We're going to put some video equipment in here. And we're going to put up a video of the sermons and, and the illustrations that I use up on there. And we'll also do live video streaming next year on the website for those that want to catch it live as well. So we have lots of needs. Thirdly, the, the third thing that we might be able to give to is this week we had, hey, guess what? Upward registration and then the evaluations for upward basketball and cheerleading were this week. We thought we were doing well by approaching 200 registration. We had 150 last year. We now have 252 registered. Amen. Isn't that awesome? That represents a whole lot of boys and girls that are coming that don't know Jesus died for them. And their parents maybe don't know as well. And so uh, I think like nine of those have come and they can't afford to pay their registration. It's like 75 bucks a kid. And so if you could donate to that as well, what a blessing for you to give um, to be able to help that child stay part of Upward so that we could tell them about Jesus and who he is. I mean, guys, this is practical mission dollars. I hope God's uh, convicting your heart this morning. He definitely, surely is my own. And we're going to take up one of these three offerings. Please write it on the outside of your envelope what it's for. If it's the special Christmas offering, at any time, you can place it right up here in the manger. We're going to give it right, right to the baby Jesus isn't in there yet. But you just pretend he's there and put your offering in there this morning. Pastor Joe, would you lead us in prayer? Father God, we've heard an awesome message this morning. The message that you wrote. 
message you wrote. What a wonderful time. Lord, we, we think of those who in their hearts this morning said, yes. Yes, we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Lord God, I pray that they might have courage to speak to someone, someone here, that could give them further instruction. Lord, thank you. What, a, what an awesome time. What an awesome time. Thank you, Father, for making it possible that we can, we can hear, give here uh, our, our little bits, whatever you have laid on our heart to give for the work that you have here in this place, our place. Father, thank you for your love for us individually, for me. Just thank you so much that you are my God. You are my Savior. And I know that your people here can say the same. Thank you, Lord. Now receive these gifts. For we give it in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.